opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know, I, ascendancy I, within, the, within the Labour Party language. who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right, too right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. Hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, 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 hard left, hard left, left, hard left, left, hard 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 left, you got mad guns, I don't believe you. You got 11 cars, I don't believe you. You got the block scared, I don't believe you. Use a bug thug, I don't believe you. You doing jail time, I don't believe you. You got the newest bins, I don't believe you. You got the girls ready, I don't believe you. You moving big weight, I don't believe you. You cooking steel pots, I don't believe you. You going on Soul Train, I don't believe you. You cash your royalties, I don't believe you. You did a video, I don't believe you. You smacking everybody, I don't believe you. I have never met uh, Ricky before, so this is actually... Uh, For real? Uncomfortable. <laughs> Yo. Hey, I was just getting everything plugged in, sorry. That's cool. Hello. Oh, hey, ED, how's it going? Yeah, good. Well, Hello. I'm, I'm... Because I've just watched four episodes of that. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> four episodes. So you've missed the big ending. Whatever, whatever the fuck it is. But <laughs> I'm happy to have it spoiled for me, though, because I'll be honest, I'm not going to watch the rest of it. <laughs> oh, man. You're really missing out on... Um... I'm sure, Something. I'm sure. I, I did watch all six episodes, but I can't really remember the last two very well. Yeah, same, man. That's the thing from just setting them all in one day and then not recording for a couple of weeks. I wanted to make this point as well. I feel like it would have been not as bad if I'd been able to drink or smoke my way through them. Yeah. But it doesn't I... help that much, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously. I think I still managed to make it through all six episodes without <laughs> laughing once. So. Oh my god, absolutely, totally, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it's not the easy pill to make, uh, you know, to, to assist your pregnancy, basically. No, like Stone Cold Sober just sitting there like, <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Right, I'm just getting up this New York Times interview to reference during the conversation. Yeah. It's so bad, like, I couldn't be asked to read it when I saw people tweeting about it, and I've just read about half of it, and he's repeating, like, Janice Turner <laughs> propaganda lines from the <laughs> Times about trans people. It's yeah. Like, the, I mean, the guy, the, I will say the guy does a good job, the interviewer. There's some really good lines in there, like when he says, and then I'll do like 10 minutes about psoriasis. And the interview, you can just hear him deadpan. Sounds like a good 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think the interviewer says at one point, do you think maybe you spend slightly too much time online? <laughs> yeah, he's like, no. Asking about targets, if he's picking the right targets and spending time in the right comedic areas. 
Yeah. What does he say? He says something about it's like Clarice, Cla- uh, Clarice Starlings. What the fuck? Why can't I? I've seen, I watched Silence of the Lambs really recently and I can't pronounce the main character's name. Uh, Clarice Starling going to see Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. That's how he describes like going on Twitter and looking at what Nazis are saying. Closer, please. Closer. <gasps> to steal their lines for his stand-up routines. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess let's just launch into this. So Ricky Gervais yeah. is back. Did he ever go away? I don't really think so. It doesn't feel like it. He's got a work ethic, that man. Like it's not it's not good work. But... He's back in the physical sense, yeah. I mean he works pretty solidly, so about this time last year, Yaya Tom and I were discussing <laughs> Ricky Gervais's then recent stand-up show, Humanity. According to the New York Times interview, he's already got another stand-up routine on the way. And that's what he's... He hasn't, though, has he? He's got a stand-up routine, but it isn't another one. Another one suggests that it's a different one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be coming back with the tried and tested lines about, like, ooh, are you offended? Trans people, what a laugh, etc. And that's what he's been, you know, doing his research, reading all the Janice Turner pieces for. He doesn't name-check Janice Turner. She just, in my mind, is the most transphobic writer of the times. He, he doesn't parrot her exact line. Yeah, and the little note that the writer puts talks about, like, the British press reporting on the stuff he's talking about. And I felt like Turner was who the writer was talking about at the mm, times, yeah, at definitely. the very least. But, I mean, Humanity last year came out on Netflix. Netflix and Netflix are continuing to funnel loads and loads of cash into the Gervais brand and he's got a new show out. It's called Afterlife and this week Yair, myself and our guest Tiny Comrade, actually is it Tiny Comrade or Lil Comrade? So the company is Lil Comrade and Tiny Comrade is just the name of the Twitter handle. Okay, okay, I got it. Well, it's Lil Comrade founder and creator of a brand new exclusive RealPolitik t-shirt, Edie Miller. Hey! Long-time friend of the show, and I apologise profusely for uh, referring to you as Eddie about two years ago on the show. Oh, did you? Oh, I'd forgotten. Okay, no, that's all right. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry for bringing that up again. I should have like left that buried <laughs> in the memory it, banks. Yeah. I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for my meddling Your own self. Foul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, Edie, really great to have you here. Oh, it's nice to be on. You could have picked some better content, I feel like. You could have made me sit through several <laughs> hours of something else but you didn't and i'm gonna roll with it i'm gonna work with what i'm given we've got an episode coming up on the directorial works of neil young if you uh if you fancy well exactly see you see what i mean i think i've, yeah. ma- I've made my point there you are so into self-flagellation uh, it's got to be said <laughs> yeah I, what I, you're saying is i might have got off lightly yeah and you shouldn't Exactly. You know, Neil Young's music, great. As a director, hit and miss. So, um, <laughs> anyway, I am sorry for putting you through, not the full six episodes. No, but you should sit through this. Yeah, two hours no, of I've Ricky watched, Gervais. Yeah, I've watched about two hours of it. I watched three in about three quarter episodes, so I probably had time to watch the last one, but by the time I'd watched that much of it, I was like, 
I, do you know what? I've seen this. I've I've got it. I've got yeah. just. It's very much. It just is a little bit like being hit over the head with a hammer. Um, and you're like, once the damage is done, I'm not sure how much the volume is going to make a difference. Really. <laughs> it's like being hit over the head with a big stack of copies of Living Marxism, you know, the thing that spiked you yeah. when it had a physical yeah. edition. But I mean, before we get on to Gervais and his latest atrocity, do you want to tell us and our listeners a little bit about Little Comrade, if they're not already aware, and about its new clothing line. Because, you know, we're sort of like Kanye West. We've got into fashion now. <laughs> and um, and Edie is our partner in that business. So so why don't you, yeah, tell our listeners who, you know, real politic listeners, they're, they're simple people. They don't know about clothes and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, ex- explain to them what, what's going on with the company, the business. Sure, I can do that. So I have an online shop which is my job. It's the only thing that I do, which is lilcomrade.com, L-I-L-C-O-M-R-A-D-E.com. And I sell about half and half baby clothes and adult clothes. So I sell kids stuff with tongue-in-cheek socialist slogans on them, which, as you can imagine, went down very well with tankies. Um... (laughs) I don't get the problem. It's so inoffensive. (laughs) Right, right. <laughs> Basically, it's funny and cute, I think. And, um, yeah, I still think, ultimately, it is a funny joke to put something on a baby that they don't understand. Um, <laughs> like cheese. Which, yeah, yeah, like cheese, right. Originally, I thought that might just be my sense of humour. Like, toddlers against austerity, right? That's still funny to me. Yeah. I've, I've sold loads and loads of those, and it's still hilarious to me to imagine a kid and to see people send me pictures to see a kid wearing something and it's like it's fundamentally right you can't argue with it it's absolutely good yes we should all oppose austerity yes including you don't care if you're two you've got like some uh criticism from the right haven't you for like indoctrinating kids into the mind cult of the left that was the first thing that came to my mind is what the right would think about that (laughs) oh right yeah So, yeah, I did. What actually happened was Carl MacDonald, who is a very good Twitter comrade, nice guy. Oh, yeah, I like uh, Carl. He got in touch. So he is like an editor and a writer at The Eye. Yeah. He got in touch and asked if I wanted to do a profile quite soon after I'd launched, I think, where I talked about what I was doing, just because it's, it's the kind of thing that people click on, right? I think the slant that they went with was like, this company sells stuff for communista babies. <laughs> and, and like, yeah, people are going <laughs> to click on that. But it was a really nice, sympathetic write-up and he was really sweet. And I agreed to all of it and talked to him about it. And then a load of other publications like The Sun and The Metro cribbed it completely, <sighs> took all of his work, copied it out, and then they used a lot of pictures that Obviously, I hadn't given permission for, which I was quite annoyed about. But somebody told me to invoice the son. So I invoiced the son, way overcharged them. <laughs> was basically like, I'm going to just tell them they have to pay me X amount per photograph that they'd use. And they'd use five photos, which is quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We should have fucking invoiced the mail, like, for using our likenesses. Yeah. Oh, is, oh, what, no, why don't we think of that? Yeah, if this had happened to me before that happened to you guys, I 100% would have said, invoicing now in our case our photos are probably owned by facebook so yeah yeah very true (laughs) possibly Uh, like our souls (laughs) yeah and i thought well i'd aim high with the price because then 
the worst that they can do is say no and try and haggle it down. Mm. But this poor guy who was on their payroll acquisitions department just looked at it and went, yeah, you've got us. (laughs) (laughs) And basically said, you've asked for over the odds compared to what we normally would pay. But given the invasion of privacy or given the kind of breach (laughs) of the legal troubles situation, potential. Yeah. So the the approach I went with when I emailed them was I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of behaved as if I'd expected a lot more from the sun. Like, I was like, <laughs> which is not true. Yeah. But I did. I put it on and I and I sort of said something to them along the lines of, I've seen your reporters asking lots of people on Twitter and stuff for permissions to use photographs. I'm really surprised that mm. this is the way that you've chosen to conduct yourselves in this instance and expect to be compensated accordingly. <laughs> That's sick, right? You you took on the sun and won. Yeah, so they they ended up having to give us a kind of chunk of cash. Nice. Nice. That's excellent. So, I mean, obviously, as you say, there's a great amusement value to seeing little kids wearing stuff with sentiments on it that they don't understand. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Now, there's a new line that (laughs) Little Comrade have put out, and I think that we should really get the youth of today wearing this, you know, great new uh, pro-NATO T-shirt that you've... (laughs) (laughs) So what's the deal so with I, this then? So I think that in contrast to the baby stuff, I've launched uh, Mike Gates' t-shirt as a collaboration with you guys. And I think the majority of people who end up wearing it are in on the joke. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine the circumstances in which anybody would end up wearing Mike Gates' face. Unironically, yeah. Yeah, like, and just be totally oblivious to it and not have made a decision. <laughs> About that. There was that um, middle-aged dude on Twitter who had the I fucking love Mike Gapes t-shirt. Maybe yeah, maybe he'd so want one. We can send him one if you want. <laughs> yeah, so, well, actually, I mentioned this on Twitter. My landlord was around today, dude, because I print at home. My studio is basically just a room in my flat, and he was doing some repairs. And I think for a while he kind of studiously avoided asking. He knows I print t-shirts. Mm. but he didn't ask what exactly I was printing just imagine like draped off every surface is Mike Gapes is smiling (laughs) with the letters M-I-W-K around it Um, beautiful sweet lad well he's not sweet is he because he's a landlord he's really (laughs) won me over by being nice don't know whether this is because I'm pregnant and I'm just like really sort of Credulous, (laughs) Credulous, <laughs> but if anybody's nice to me, I'm at the moment. I'm like excellent. Great. You were you were taken in by Ricky Gervais, so no, no, I wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, he's fundamentally not sweet because he's my landlord, but also he's a bit bumbling and he makes me laugh. And he, after quite a while of <laughs> not saying anything about these shirts, he eventually went, "Who's this lad then?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit." So I, had to, so I had to try and explain who my capes is <laughs> and also why I print a t-shirt with his face on. What did you um, tell him? How and, do you explain the Gapes cult to a layman? So I basically just, I, this is, I basically just dropped you all in it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can try and explain it as if it's a joke that I get and I'm in on which, to be fair, is the truth. Or I can go, 
some fucking weirdos wanted me to bring this in. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of went, I, I leant towards that and I said more like along the lines of, he's an MP, there are some people who are very obsessed with him. It's merchandise for a podcast. All of this is true. It's um, a healthy obsession. At the time, at the time of recording. Um, They've and... got too much time on their hands. <laughs> yeah. And then I sort of finished it off by being like, look, doesn't matter really they're just paying us for it so and he went oh yeah no problem oh no problem yeah gotcha yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i kind of phew, got out of that one and then we didn't oh have it's a business again. i understand <laughs> that as a landlord <laughs> yes, yes. ah money yes money. <laughs> now you speak in my language exactly yeah i've just yeah. thought i picked up three tickets for mike gapes in conversation at the mile end institute on april the first now i don't know if, you know, I I can get two people to go to my capes live <laughs> with me. So here's the deal. Next real politic Patreon subscriber, that is if we manage to get this episode out before <laughs> April the first, gets a free ticket to Mike Gapes live at the Mile End Institute. Mile End in the Milk End Institute in conversation with <laughs> Professor of Being a Melt Tim Bale. Why? Why did you block Bucket? Why did he? I, I just. Thought, <laughs> you decided like this is a commodity that's going to go like hotcakes. Mike Gabe's tickets better get as many of them as possible. <laughs> well, it was essentially because they were free. And so I just thought, you know, I know a lot of people who are really into Mike Gapes, and so I could, I could just get, you know, if I keep all bases covered, then nobody will be missing out on a Gapes ticket, because last time they sold out, like, hotcakes, like, red cakes, red with red cherries, or a blue cake with blue... Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I'll try and live-tweet it while I'm there, if cool. I end up going. It would be a shame if I don't and just waste three tickets to Mike Gapes, like, let down some poor Gapesist somewhere. When you say, I know a lot of people who are very into Mike Gapes, <laughs> do... Do, do you take any level of responsibility for that, Jack? <laughs> you... I I um I blame Tom because he made the Milk Gapes video. So essentially, oh, that... it's him. That's true. It's him who gave me the brain worm. So he's right. he's effectively patient zero of Gapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of Gapes mania, Gapes fever. So yeah, I mean no, I mean I do it take just, some. It does just be a little bit like Mr. Kipling saying, "I'm surrounded by people who are quite into cakes." <laughs> Whether you have a red cake with great red <laughs> cherries or a blue, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, possibly. <laughs> There's just one more Mike Gapes related thing. We pretty much always have like a Gapes jam at the start of any. Episode now, <laughs> like I was saying on Twitter the other day, it's like our equivalent of the Dead's Dark Star Jam. It just gets longer and more elaborate and experimental every time. <laughs> yeah, the Independent Group posted a new video on Twitter today. I, I I can't remember what the fuck they were talking about. Some bollocks about Brexit, but basically it was Gapes and Anne Coffey standing in front of Parliament and just like really really loud bagpipes in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got Gapes just like I am I am very worried about Brexit and then you just got <laughs> just, just glaring. The government is indicating that it is not necessarily going to go according to the wishes of Parliament. And there is still a danger 
of a crashing out of the European Union with no deal. And we have also got an option to try and make it absolutely clear that we can stop that today. We are arguing as an independent group that we want any agreed position that comes through to be put for a confirmatory referendum to the people. I love all of the independent groups content. It's astonishing. Oh god, yeah, they did one with Gates and Anne Coffey and one with Chris Leslie and Angela Smith. So they're bringing out all the heavyweights, you know, doing a sort of good cop, bad cop <laughs> tag teaming. Anne Coffey, the only woman in Britain whose name is a shitpost. <laughs> I, I adore that. Can I have Anne Coffee, please? Anne Coffee. <laughs> yeah, no relative of Kofi Annan, but yeah, she she's Scottish apparently. It's the first time I've ever heard her speak, and she's got a Scottish accent. So you learn something new every day. Yeah, I know. Well, she's just like ballast, isn't she? She's the one who doesn't. Anyway, bring, carry bring on. in Sorry. some reinforcements. Get coffee in. We need to boost the numbers a bit. Yeah, I was just gonna say. So, have you got anything more on Lil Comrade on the Gapes T-shirt on anything really? I guess just will you put a link in the show notes if people wanna buy it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what else to say about it other than please buy it because it pays my rent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bottle. Yeah. yeah well you yeah. S- what we've done there is we've linked in the uh sort of advertorial section with the gapes jam so people uh-huh. you know they might be like well i'll i'll skip through the advertorial there's no skipping the ads yeah exactly <laughs> but we mix all the gapes in there mixed together with whiskey and it comes out as quality entertainment so (laughs) (laughs) i think that's uh, enough of the first portion of the show anyway let's move on to the main subject for today yes enough product placement time to rip gervais a new one i guess yeah i'd say we're unfortunately placing his product a bit but realistically (laughs) he doesn't need a bump from us like he's i I did worry while i was watching it i am contributing to netflix thinking that this is a bankable person like (laughs) Mm. this sucks Uh, yeah i felt that as well i felt like because everything's so algorithmic and yeah when it's gonna recommend bad things it's yeah yeah and it's gonna <laughs> calculate my taste based on things that i've watched and now one of the things that it knows about me is that i've watched two hours of this man <laughs> <sighs> so i think what it will recommend you next like what's that show that got cancelled because the guy doing it was like basically a nazi I'm just... some american thing <laughs> never mind <laughs> That's too vague. Yeah, I know, like, so many things fit that description. Speaking of shows that should be cancelled because their creators are basically Nazis. Uh (laughs) Afterlife. So, the new show from Ricky Gervais. What's the basic premise of this show, guys? His wife dies, he is sad, and (sighs) decides to be a bastard to everybody about it. Yeah, but I don't know, the thing for me was that he seemed like a bit of a cunt at the start of the show. Yeah! Right? Yeah. <laughs> Even I... in the flashbacks and stuff. Like, he's always been a bastard. I felt weird about that description. That, like, all of the writing and all of the criticism, only a lot of it was fawning, that I'd seen about it had said exactly that, right? That this was the setup, this was the premise. That his wife died and then he just decided that he had carte blanche to go around and say what he liked to people. Mm. And I just didn't... I felt like almost to some extent people were sort of retroactively applying a gimmick or applying Mm. a bit more of a coherent purpose to the show than it actually had 
Yeah. Did you feel like that? Because yeah. I'm not really arguing with the description because everybody's described it as that so much that... That's literally the Netflix synopsis, practically. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. Does he have an epiphany? Is there a moment in the show where he decides, I'm going to be like this now? Is it, like, right at the start, or...? I couldn't even tell. Could you? How did you feel about the structure? Sorry, I'm not. I don't mean to deflect, but no, this no. is me trying to answer that question. I guess. <laughs> what the fuck was going on? With that? <laughs> it's, it's so bad. So no, I can't tell whether he has an epiphany at all. Is the answer because it's so badly written and it's so badly put together that I honestly can't. I realised as it went on and as he started to be introduced to people clearly for the first time, who had already been in scenes before with more familiarity, realised that there was meant to be some kind of flashback thing. But that was so shoddily done yeah. that I honestly couldn't tell what the time sort of space setup was with the script at all. Did anybody else have that problem? On a related note, I feel like Gervais thought that by affixing the dark comedy label, he didn't have to have any sort of arc or development of any of the characters yeah, by just yeah. oh it's bleak it's realistic that means that nothing has to happen of any significance yeah. Yeah, the episodes just kind of like trail off like they're happening and then yeah. they don't a comparison would be another six episode half hour thing for a streaming service which would be um woody allen's crisis in six scenes which Amazon invested a load of money in a few years ago before reneging on their deal when they were like, oh, it was probably a bad time to invest in this guy. And that was, again, it was just like he'd written like a three hour movie and chopped it up into like, okay, this is an episode, this is an episode, this is an episode. And this was like that. The only episode that I can remember having any kind of climactic moment was when he kills that guy. Yeah, and maybe, possibly, depending on what you mean, when he decides to smoke heroin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he kills the homeless guy who oh, yeah. he does heroin with. Like, the guy's like, I want That's to die. Different. That's Ricky a different end, like the end of the second episode or something I'm thinking of, where oh, yeah. he yeah. does kill the guy. But yeah. Yeah. They do heroin and also Rocket Man is playing in the background yeah. at the exact moment that, that Gervais talks on this yeah. um, <laughs> that has heroin in it. The line is like, I'm so high. And it's just It's so horny. As we all know, heroin is a potent hallucinogen because he then starts seeing his wife. Uh, <laughs> it actually, do you know what it made me think of, that scene? It made me think of Holmes Under the Hammer. <laughs> where, what? <laughs> what? Where, Explain. Sorry, unless you've watched a lot of daytime TV, this <laughs> might not make any sense. But in Homes Under the Hammer, they tend to do this. It's deliberate. It's knowing. They tend to do this sort of gimmick where if the person who is selling the house that they're talking about that week has a particular job, then they'll play some kind of pop music. Yeah. that pertains in a really corny way to <laughs> that job. But the point about that is that they know that they're doing it. They're like, we're a shit daytime TV programme. Yeah. And so they'll cobble these things together. Like, I'm trying to think of an example. Something like Waterloo Sunset. They'll play that because of the area that they're in. Or, yeah. or a song. 
they'll play like oh they'll they'll play some okay. music, like Thomas the Tank Engine theme tune because this guy drives a train or some shit. Like <laughs> yeah. really, really on the nose bullshit. It's common on like lots of reality TV shows, isn't well, it? Yeah, uh, it's yeah, like uh, in a lot of films where some. If you go to Las Vegas, you have to play a song where somebody mentions Viva, Viva Las Vegas. Las Vegas. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like in a <sighs> lot of films where somebody does heroin. The one that's coming to mind is Killing Them Softly, which uh, was like a financial crash gangster film that I quite liked actually but there's this bit where one of the characters is doing a load of smack and instantly Velvet Underground's heroin starts up <laughs> <laughs> like you, you just recognize that chord straight away you're like ah heroin <laughs> we are. just in case that anyone or, wasn't aware what hey, we... that or perfect day but yeah. oh yeah yeah but I mean I think heroin is more commonplace because they're just like hmm what's a good song to do heroin to it was just so bad it was just really bad because he doesn't make you trust that he has any distance from it which i found really weird like he's this comedian supposedly with what seems like a totally absent sense of irony and so it's very difficult to relate to what he's doing in a way that is anything other than this weird kind of mawkish sincerity that he has but then punctuated by at the end of it someone will go gay (laughs) <laughs> that's a joke apparently yeah it's it, so it, it, in like interviews he often talks about irony a lot he talks about irony he talks about being ironic himself and his comedy is layered in irony but th- absolutely there is none of the sense of self-analysis or self-awareness that comes with truly being ironic and it just stinks of that alt-right it was a prank bro type irony mentality which is not irony but a cover for something much worse obviously i'm interested in uh the uh side of life that you choose to explore you with a nazi helmet on you see is funny enough with that smile just to to talk (laughs) i'm sure that uh you're not happy casting any Jews for your show. That's the feeling I get. I mean, I'm starting to get the feeling that you're not comfortable around Jewish people. Are you Jewish? You're not Jewish. Yeah, I was raised uh, Jewish. Well, I, you know, good one on you. Good one on you. Let's go inside Are you happy then. now? Yeah. Okay, good. Because make sure you cut where it looks like you won. <laughs> Just off the back of that, can I also just ask about what did you guys think of his relationship with his wife? Uh, Which well, is all like told in flashback because it basically be cranked, right? Yeah. Well, it seemed to be a way of rationalising his behaviour towards people. Like, for instance, he spends the whole thing calling other people fat and making fun of their weight. And then they Mm. go back and show, look, here's his wife who genuinely loves him. And she's making fun of him for being fat. So it's kind of like, look, this is it's all just banter, all right? Yeah, this is how guys talk to each other, to uh, reference Gran Torino. Yeah, yeah, like every time he would walk into the bedroom and wake up his wife with the air horn or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not in a funny way. Just why would you be with somebody who does that to you? Yeah, she walks like... in and he's got a bucket rigged up and the bucket falls on her head and it's full of water. <laughs> and then there's another scene where she's asleep on a deck chair and he throws some water on her face and it's like, you just did that. 
You just did that exact setup. It's not original or clever or witty or no, anything. No, and I feel like there's a kind of bell curve when we talk. This is an apology for how much I hate this show. But there's a kind of bell curve when we talk about culture, which is how easy it is to do proper criticism, I think, or to say anything interesting about something. And at one end, you've got stuff that you really, really like mm. and you can't get mm. the appropriate distance from it to say something worthwhile and then at the other end you've got stuff that you just hate and i feel like it's very difficult to pull any really worthwhile criticism out of this because it's just fucking object (laughs) not not work of great substance no there's not a lot of meat to chew on here i I agree Uh, it's it's so bad i feel really awful for all of the really good writers who can't get anything made and this guy doesn't even have to write a kind of narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I, I feel sorry for all the really good actors who, you know, are actually in this show. Right, <laughs> yeah. have to deliver all this terrible material. I mean, I don't feel that sorry for them. I'm sure it pays well. But, and and all, all actors have, you know, some black marks on their uh, resume. But he's got enough money around and enough cachet to get good people. And he just pisses them away. Like, um, yeah. He reunites with Ashley Jensen for, I think, the first yeah. time since she played Maggie in Extras. And uh-huh. she's Gives great in Extras. There's yeah. absolutely nothing to work with, exactly. Like, um, that she's just not really given a character. She's just, like, the nice nurse. Well, Maybe has... you shouldn't be such an asshole, is basically yeah, her. Yeah, she does have, like, a almost vaguely interesting function in the sense of she's the only person who keeps telling him that he... Like, she calls him a cunt at one point in, like, episode two or something. All right. Um, and it's she quite tough. Off... Yeah, but yeah. I, I see your point. I see your point there. But, but I find it really interesting because it's it almost feels as if in Gervais's life there aren't enough people who are actually... who are kind of telling him that he's a cunt, right? <laughs> yeah. He has yeah. to write this character to go on this kind of tirade at him and say all of these things like you're bitter, you're nobody wants to be around you, etc, etc. But I, I don't know if that's like too simplistic to say that he's just kind of a masochist and he wants to be told um, that he's bad. But it's really weird when you compare that with this New York Times interview that you were talking about where um, he, a couple of times, he gets asked about like some of the kind of big successes of his career that everybody pretty much agrees on like the um the interviewer mentions something about the office and says like that was basically universally critically acclaimed and Mm -hmm. Gervais argues with him immediately and wants and is like oh some people didn't like it and then (laughs) yeah and he's just it's weird because he's he does seem to be obsessed with trying to find this voice of like people who disagree with him as if that's what gives him meaning i guess does he like the office he doesn't know oh you fuck of course he knows the office is he from out of town goodbye okay buddy (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean it's like his stand-up show last year like a load of it is just like he's so mad going on for such a long time about like just some random person on twitter who had some objection to his material that really probably not many people would have like that it's not okay to make fun of allergies i think was one um and it's like 
okay, yeah, all right, maybe that is something that not everyone would be sensitive about. But on the other hand, if not many people are being sensitive about it, then what does it fucking matter that, like, you know, one person... Uh, I mean, he, he should take into account if somebody is upset by his stuff, but, I mean, from the perspective of somebody who has the, you know, stature in society to just ignore it, he does take yeah. that kind of stuff very, very personally. Yeah. Yeah. While also doing this performative, like, I don't care. Yeah. Act. He's so deeply offended by people being offended. Like... Yeah, absolutely. Did you notice, like, the, the sort of very, like, cut and paste scene with, um, I feel really bad that I don't know the actress's name, but the Philomena Cunt character. Oh, yeah, she's in it, yeah. <laughs> she's wasted. Uh, another example of a wasted talent. Yeah, she yeah. just plays an idiot. She just basically, like, does does the cunk stuff. Which, she's I mean, kind of, like... she can play really well. She, yeah. She's done some... Yeah, yeah, she does. Like yeah, she's good. It's it. not fair. It's not yeah. fair. No, you kind of get a sense he was just like, hey, do your thing. And and, and they've yeah. all got the, like, Gervais dialogue where they either speak like Ricky Gervais or like Ricky Gervais's imaginary version of an idiot. Right, yeah. So there's this, there's this scene with her where they basically just have a conversation about God and she's like, God's real. And he's like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the dialogue. For some reason, this scene goes on for, like, a couple of minutes and you're just sitting there, like... What? Like, did he? Did he just like? Did it? Was the episode too short? Did he need a bit of filler? Yeah. And he was like, oh, let's just talk about God for a bit. It's so smug as well the way he does it at the end. He's like, no, actually, I'm, uh, I, I'm just very, very uncertain about everything. You know, I can never be sure, and just kind of sits yeah. there with a big fucking shit-eating grin on his face. Like it's like, yeah. <laughs> he's got a really unpleasant air to him. Uh, whenever he's just trying to put people in their place. Like, the early scene that stuck out to me is when someone's just eating really loud and he just kind of gets really angry on uh, on behalf of everyone. I was just like... I mean, some people do eat in a gross way, but again, you know, it's just a bit... It's just like well, this... He, this, he this... presents himself as a kind of arbiter, doesn't he? Yeah, this, it's, it's completely he's like... I'm like going to sort out for everyone. Yeah, this like stupid situation that like it, it completely exaggerated. And I know I yeah, I kinda stopped my tracks there because I, I was saying it, I was like, Well, a lot of comedy is about exaggeration, but it's like he's just getting inordinate inordinately what? annoyed at things that don't really matter. Yeah. Uh, I mean what I was thinking on a related note, the I think it was you, Jack, said the two kind of characters a dialogue that there is in this show is mm. the Ricky Gervais type of dialogue and the Ricky Gervais's imagined opponents kind yeah. of the fool dialogue. <laughs> yeah. And the difference between Afterlife and let's just say The Office is in The Office you do feel like when the other characters are criticizing Ricky, like they're on point, you know? Mm. They appear within the show to be, they're not made to look like fools at that point, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this show, they're always just this bumbling idiot persona where <laughs> like, the closest you get is that scene where he gets called a cunt. Uh, yeah. That doesn't feel too, like, bumbling or silly or whatever. But 
for the most part, when a character is criticizing him, saying, oh, just cheer up, why don't you, you know, they're made to just look like complete idiots for wanting him to not be a complete cunt all the time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's just uh, so filled with, like, contempt for every mm -hmm. character he writes and every kind of person around him. almost constantly, like, shown to be correct in his contempt. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the main guy who keeps telling him to, you know, buck his ideas up and cheer up and not be depressed all the time is his brother-in-law. So let's just clarify I didn't miss something crucial. His brother-in-law is the brother of his deceased wife. Uh-huh. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and also and his he, boss. Yeah, his boss. So he's the brother of Ricky Gervais's wife, and Ricky Gervais is really upset naturally and the brother doesn't seem to care doesn't care it's just fine yeah it's just yeah. like that's up. No i mean point. i certainly say that grief does go different ways different people but like yeah i i also picked up on the whole i don't know it it felt very poorly written very poorly he, characterized he at no point kind of relates gervais's experience there to his own he kind of no. he, he never says oh you know i'm feeling like this too that's where the kind of confusion i have come from maybe they were you know maybe he was estranged from his sister but they don't give us anything to suggest that well i think that's, that's I think once or twice where he said like oh i miss her too uh yeah. but it didn't feel it wasn't like a really deep empathic moment it was just it was another way of saying you should move along and then when when it's when it's revealed oh like look he's got his own problems as well it's just like marital stuff it's not like a delayed onset thing that repressing his his feelings about the death of his sister no yeah that's all in the past you know he's over it but i think fundamentally like that you're right to point that out it is really weird I think that's just because it's being written by somebody who has like a very limited insight into humanity and how people <laughs> work and how people react to things. Mm. And another example of this is like, um, actually, this is more like a kind of anachronism. The way that um, like fame is constructed and like this kind of local newspaper environment. Yeah. And so there was a, this is one of the only like motifs where this is something that recurs in different episodes yeah. other than just his life. Um, you'll occasionally get a little interlude where he goes off with his colleague, who's a photographer, to somebody's house and they are like drawn as trying to get into the local paper, um, which he works for. So one of them, there's the guy who has like a damp wall and the damp has formed to look like the face of Kenneth Branagh, which doesn't feel like a very original joke um and then there's like a kid who plays the recorder with both of his nostrils and something else i can't remember there's the weird um, hoarder well, guy the one who's kind of creepy yeah. and, and oh uh... yeah oh the guy who received the same postcard five times oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and he, he keeps coming away from these interactions like why do these people these people will do anything for fame. They just want to get in the local paper. Um, it's really sad. And then, and he's sort of filled with contempt for them. And he's also filled with contempt for the photographer who he works with, who treats the same things in like quite a lighthearted way. And is like, oh, it's just funny, isn't it? But what I just couldn't get past when I was watching these scenes is like, this is not a world that exists anymore, right? No. This is a world that 
This is at least like maybe fifteen years ago. <laughs> right. They got a whole office of people like working at that local paper. You know, it yeah. looked very slick and modern, didn't it? Like, yeah, what? What is? It looked exactly like the fucking office in uh, David Brent Life on the Road, but <laughs> and had exactly the same office dynamics in there. Except, yeah. I th- I, except I think he got bullied less in this one. <gasps> or no, Where are they getting their money from? Especially since they clearly show that they're not selling any papers. Yeah, what is the locale? <laughs> Because, like, uh, I guess... Oh, where is it? Because all of the houses are gorgeous, and all of the... <laughs> and then there's a beach there, but there's no... But nobody lives there. Like, yeah. I, I, I live in a place um, that's got a lot of nice houses and so on, and, like, the local paper here is fucking shit. Like, it's about two pages about, like, the school egg and spoon race. Like, you know... Right, like, well, I, I found this local paper thing really weird, because clearly, like, the, the source of his contempt is that he thinks that people want to get famous for doing like useless stuff and want to be in the paper and this is just not something that i think relates to what the world is like anymore because like now if people want to get attention like they they start a youtube channel or yeah. they yeah. like a podcast um, yeah or a podcast or, Wait, or they, yeah. <laughs> they, they get divorced and they set up a weird like twitter account and harass young female journalists constantly yeah. Yeah. and get loads of plaudits from like yeah. people for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> um and this whole oh I'm gonna play the recorder out of two nostrils and Very then old get school. involved for it. Like okay. none none of this yeah, none it's of like this. It's like a joke from the Vicar of Dibley. Screen. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. And it very much feels like he just lives in. Actually, when I was looking at um, looking for the NYT article again, there is um, another New York Times article from last year that I think is headlined "Comedy has moved on, Ricky Gervais hasn't." Yeah. <laughs> possibly but i don't know it doesn't feel like tonally his stuff now i think it has evolved from the office and uh, extras which were like i think just kind of top of the range like sub larry david cringe comedy <laughs> like yeah. they took all the influences of well i guess the office was around the same time as curb so basically just kind of like mm-hmm. that's that seinfeld vibe and got mm-hmm. like in- incredibly um, funny stuff out of it his stuff now, like, it feels like he's been trying to get out of the cringe comedy wheelhouse for ages. Um, that he's not really good at anything else. Yet, like you say, the show is very mawkish and sentimental. Um, yeah, that's what he's trying to go for. He's trying to do touching. Yeah, he's, it's crap it, as it's well. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like um, I wrote down, it's a little bit like The Office got infected by Alan Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> like, Christ. that... So I didn't know whether that was partly because, but not, but Alan Bennett is actually at least, he's not to everybody's taste, but he's at least good at doing the kind of work that he does. Yeah, I mean, and that sounds is... quite good in theory. Like, yeah, yeah. Alan Bennett leaves the office, cool. That was a pitch, yeah. But, and I didn't know whether, like, like so what was this, um, this woman in the graveyard that he sits and talks to her oh, and yeah. that, and it makes no sense and the whole thing is just so disjointed in terms of all of these different people who seem to exist to like try and keep this guy alive she was played by another quite good actor wasn't she i can't remember who, yeah uh, but well i it... think she i recognized her she did yeah. used to be in alan bennett which is um some of his sort of things which is one of the things that made me think of that ah various talented people in the show and production values as well yeah netflix 
I'm sure they gave him a, a decent budget for, for you mm. know, a, a sitcom. Good quality cameras put in the right place, though. Can't really, you know, you can't polish a turd. Like, yeah. this stuff is, it's bad to the bone. Like, it's formally, tonally inept. Yeah. You know, the characterization, the plotting, all of it is just abject, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. You can't polish a turd, but you can bury it underground and it'll become a fossil in a few million years where it belongs. Um, possibly have some value. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know about that. Imagine like rebuilding society <laughs> with like After Earth rather than the Bible. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking more learning about 21st century uh, fascism. <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, indicative of the kind of discourse on the far right in the 2010s. It's just that I could see a certain, and I think the audience sees a certain relish in your eyes when you're playing a Nazi. You're a naughty little boy, and you know it, and there's that gleam in your eye. The, the taboo or uncomfortable subjects um, that I pick on are to take me somewhere, and that is um, sort of uh, embarrassment. You know, um, it's what you do and don't say in, in um, polite society. So it's all about the, the people being uncomfortable. Is it because with these... you, you, you in your life felt repressed, and this is a, a part of a way to get it out? To some extent, like, it's obviously it's a, it's a fossil in the sense of he's written it and it does seem like it's from a time when he last interacted with people, probably yeah. about 15 years ago. But then it is also a document that's very much of our time. Not in a good way. No. <laughs> in the kind of, like, obsession. It shows a lot of the anxieties of the centre and the right. Yeah. What can I say? What can I... Oh, and, like, so he has... The... There's another. This is why it's so difficult to talk about and difficult to describe because there's no progression, but there's also no um, uh, like sensible kind of setup of characters. So you'll mm. totally forget about somebody like the woman in the cemetery. Um, and then I've just remembered um, his the sex worker who was like his friend. Yeah. Yeah. What well, yeah. did you make of that? Because that was a, a that dodgy was characterization. <laughs> so she's basically there so that. Ricky Gervais has the opportunity to keep shouting prostitute at somebody, mm. which he clearly really relishes. And then also so that he can have the kind of catharsis of somebody correcting him at the same time, because oh, yeah. she keeps saying sex worker. And he's yeah. like, right, yeah, I get it. You're a prostitute. And he's like... <laughs> and at the end, I... doesn't he learn to call her a sex worker? Does, does he? Did I, I remember that, that right? Oh, yeah, of course. I yeah. remember. <laughs> So, <laughs> who gives a shit? <laughs> Ricky Gervais in real life will not, yeah. you know, it's not going to learn that lesson. And then um, he, it, oh, it's just bizarre. So he, uh, oh yeah, it's the, the first scene, the first scene that she's in, this is what I found absolutely bonkers. Before you found out that what her job is, so you have no frame of reference for any of this dialogue. Yeah. And I think that if it was a better show, the dialogue itself would be clear enough and would stick in your mind enough that later on you could make sense of it. But it was only because I knew from the internet that she was this character was a sex worker that yeah. in the first episode I was able to make sense of like what she was saying. Okay. Um, so she she says something. I wrote it down because I was like, 
screaming at this line. Um, he's talking to her and she says, no one wants their fella hanging out with someone like me. And, <laughs> and at this point, you don't know that she's a sex worker. And then later on, you find out. Can, can I just say that, unfortunately, I understand the mind of Gervais enough that I very quickly conned on without reading ahead of time. It's not obvious if you're not a horrible person or in the mind frame of a horrible person. But uh, just anyway. that line. It, I, I, I know sex workers. Like, I have friends who are sex workers, and I cannot imagine anybody saying that. I'm a leper by it's choice. So it felt really weird, like, this idea of that he seems to think that sex workers buy into this kind of Mike Pence-based, uh, like, relationship framework of, like, I can't be around men mm. because yeah. I can't... Other people don't... So she's somehow her. not a real lady, not a true... Yeah, yeah. Female. And then later on, when there's another scene where she's at his house, he asks what her name is, and she tells him what, um, her kind of work name and then he goes, oh, not that one. What's your real name? And she tells him that for no reason. Why would you? This is a man yeah. that you don't know who has been an arsehole who's, like, threatened <laughs> homeless guy, like, five minutes ago. And he's asked you your real name, which is something that could very easily compromise your safety. And you've just gone, yeah. yeah? Oh, you know, well, Ricky Gervais, he's just such a likeable, trustworthy guy, such a charming man that you just... He really does see himself like that. That's how he sees himself. But watching it from the point of view of somebody who doesn't buy into it, it's impossible to see why any other character around him would like or trust this person. Yeah, well, you know, we were saying how it was hard to see any kind of character arc for him because he starts off as a bit of a cunt in the show. I think it's... (laughs) possible that this guy is just what Ricky Gervais sees as a good guy like at the end they've got they've got someone that you're such a nice guy you're so funny it's like he's not he's been a prick to everyone the whole season and he's you know he's not that funny this is just Ricky Gervais writing what he thinks of as his own positive qualities well fundamentally I'd say that like just about even the darkest of material, the protagonist has to have something that you, allows you to root for them in some way, even if it's just like their ambition, their strength. Whereas yeah. Gervais's character is just, yeah, it's such a mishmash of different things that are not really like, they just don't seem like they're positive. This is not, even if I bought into his worldview, this is not somebody I would think of as like a, you know, a hero, a protagonist, you know? She packed my bags last night, pre-flight Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as I Can we talk about the uh, heroin bit? I mean, aside from the excellent choice of Rocket Man, like, I am so high as the, <laughs> as the he song. He just randomly decides to try smack one day. Yeah, so I mean, I, I thought that it was a very uh, libertarian thing when he kills the guy. 
you know, <laughs> that, that, uh, you know, I think killing people is often quite a libertarian thing to do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, 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 but you know, he it was kind of like, well, it's about personal choice. It seemed like a sort of uh, pro euthanasia thing to me. But he was saying, well, look, <laughs> this kill him. I haven't seen this film. Basically, the heroin addict guy is like, um, I'm really depressed. If you gave me enough. If you know, if I had enough money, I'd go and OD right now. And then Ricky Gervais just, yeah, Ricky Gervais just gives him all the money in his wallet. And then later on, he's talking with his. Oh my god! The guy dies, and later on, Ricky Gervais is talking with his brother-in-law, and uh, basically, his brother-in-law is like, "Oh, did you hear such and such died?" And Ricky Gervais is like, "Yeah, I gave him the money for it." And his brother is like, "Tell me you didn't." Tell me, sorry, brother-in-law, tell me you didn't, tell me you didn't do that. And Ricky Gervais is like, all right, I didn't do it. And then that's the last year of it. <laughs> just drop, they just drop it. Um, but yeah, it felt like a kind of libertarian thing to me that he got off a hook because it just seemed to be like saying, well, look, ultimately, it may not be a nice thing, but it was that guy's choice to die. Um, it's pretty fucked no, up. But it, feels, but it feels like, it feels more like, eugenics really doesn't it because yeah it's the guy it's it's him saying i don't i don't want to live and basically um ricky joyce's character it, like has so much contempt for him that he's just like i'll agree with that decision yeah I yeah i get like, that yeah and it, when when everybody swarms around him all the time telling him not to kill himself which is baffling um <laughs> because like people people really struggle to get help and generally like much nicer people than this guy are quite isolated and yeah this is the kind of thing that it just doesn't happen right um but yeah if somebody that he deems it's correct for them to die asks him to like help them die then he's just gonna go yep yeah okay all right oh, you've convinced me it's not libertarian yeah, like this... it's outright fash <laughs> okay yeah, yeah I'm, I'm convinced i'm one over <laughs> absolutely no attempt to like rehabilitate him in any way psychologically or physically or uh, yeah no mental health care yeah, discussion or, or even uh, like, don't post they, the string. Yeah. <laughs> they had quite a nice thing going just hanging out and doing heroin yeah, like, yeah like, come on just hang out potentially better than doing it alone <laughs> i gotta say that that was the sorry Edie, you say your thing it's just no it's just the bleakest show that's ever been made I just, right uh, <laughs> that, that I, like... i've only seen i've seen like four episodes and i everything else <laughs> that you tell me past the point that i've it, watched where i already think it's fucking dreadful I was it just gonna, sounds uh, like it gets worse it does feel a bit like you took a louis theroux documentary and just slapped comedy on the genre Right, <laughs> Louis yeah. Theroux's miserable cunts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> come see um, the great underbelly of society and laugh at them because it's funny. I wanted to add this to Letterboxd because you know the film cataloging site. Because I've seen most of the work of writer director Ricky Gervais, so I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll add this in there. And um, I was incredibly disappointed to learn that it's not on Letterboxd. Like, not so much disappointed because I couldn't add it, but disappointed because that suggests to me that maybe it's not a mini-series that's just going to be a one-off thing, and maybe he'll try and do another thing of the further exploits of whatever the 
fuck his character's called. Tony. Uh, Tony. I Tony. 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 Definitive ending. Tony. What happened Sorry, I'm, wa- I'm watching a Sopranos right now. Sorry, yeah, not right now. High. Yeah, yeah oh, sweet. <laughs> it's sick, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, the last episode or two are kind of foggy, but I did watch them, and <laughs> I, no, no particular conclusion sticks out to my mind that I can think of. Like there was really? no Ashley Jensen. Like this is Pierre. Yeah, okay. Yeah. A- Ashley Jensen agrees to go on a date with him. I think is that's that, it. That's yeah. Conclu- that's easily set up for season two. Season two, a relationship yeah. travail. He gets to be in a relationship now. Oh, and great. And take it another human being who's in direct close contact all the time. Yeah, no, that's the only thing that's worse that could possibly be worse. Emotional relationship abuse, yay. Yeah. Well, I hope you're still doing the heroin. Yes, come season two, <laughs> you're like things have got better. He's got over his deceased wife, but now he's hooked on the age. Velvet Underground's heroin starts. Hopefully, he makes enough money that he can just take his own advice and, you know. Oh, mate! Well, you make you make the fucking big bucks at those local papers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. The economics of it is like his house is just like gorgeous. Yes, and he seems really sort of wealthy. He's like chucking money at this heroin addict. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very hard. And what he is, works at local paper in he's, somewhere he's, called Tambury. He's a struggling journalist. But his wife actually like had a really huge pension because she was important in the government or something. Oh, uh, CIA. <laughs> like, uh, mate, yeah, in between he... getting like egged by her husband or whatever. <laughs> I can't believe he's a struggling journalist and he hasn't even had to do a 10-year grift on the racism desk. Or was that just a stand-up yeah, career? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's moved to the Tambury Gazette from uh, from the Sun slash the Daily Mail slash the Daily <laughs> Express slash the Times. A move upwards, then. A move, yeah, yeah, yeah. A move upwards. I, yeah, I was surprised when the show was set in the UK rather than the US. But I mean, he still lives in the UK, doesn't he? He hasn't done the kind of. Uh... How does he? Maybe he's got a place in the US. I imagine. Plus, he's just known as being, like, most Americans, at least in my experience, seem to be, like, he's that British guy. Like, they know him as being British, so probably anything by him they want to associate with Britain. Yeah, I think... Enjoy that, you guys. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think Special Correspondence was set in America. Um, You know, his movie... That is true. Crap film. <laughs> really, really unfunny. I mean, we covered this in the last Ricky Gervais episode. Yeah, at uh, least as unfunny as this. Yeah, he's so fucking out of touch that he's one of those, like, successful comedians. You can just imagine, like, everything they've written in the last couple of uh, decades. Or, well, like, about 15 years for Gervais, really. Is, um, like, just written by a pool in Los Angeles. You know? Uh, yeah. Like Eric Idle from Monty Python, like everything he he's done for like thirty odd years, just feels like him sat by his pool thinking off a new way to like rework some deleted scene from the life of Brian into like a, an <laughs> opera or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was one of the really weird things about it. Like it did feel you, you sit down to watch something that looks that slick and that has all of these actors, like good actors in it, and it 
it's very jarring that it was just so mm. sort of devoid of content. It makes for a really confusing experience. I you think. should be able to expect a certain level of quality with that many. Yeah, like, and also you yeah. should be able to understand what's going on a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> like if you watch it, if you watch a shit kind of comedy or something that's in that's clearly like in its infancy and that's still being workshopped, like if it's got that bit of a shonky feel to the script. That tends to be matched by the look of it. Yeah. Um, and you're more willing to extend some kind of generosity to, to look for what's good about it. But it's just baffling to watch something where everything looks really expensive and everybody looks quite expensive and you still don't know what's going on because you do come off feeling like, am I the one who's like, <laughs> this wrong or yeah <laughs> like, it's yeah it's confusing again it just comes back to that thing of like you can't polish a turd like he can have great production values from netflix but if he's writing and directing everything himself he's really got to you know come up with uphill battle <laughs> yeah he's really got to come up with good material and he hasn't come up with good material in a long long time it's like it's the level of artistic control he exerts over his project he's he's an auteur um but maybe he should try like the american tv method and get in a team of talented younger writers and you know just shoot the shit with them around a table but he won't do that because he uh you know he sees himself as as the author even if he did that um it's always gonna be sort of pegged to what feel like very fundamentally stale concepts about like religion and freedom of speech and like the afterlife thing i had a weird deja vu when i saw what the title of it was because i remember i remember watching like a film that was almost identical um that in with him in it oh right like like, probably how long ago was this i think ghost town was it sorry yes yes ghost Ghost town Town. yeah i i don't think i've seen that one I know, I've missed that part of the Uber somehow. The, the reason I ended up watching it was because I was in, like, a holiday cottage with my family somewhere in Norfolk. And I think I must have been about 14. Mm. And so he he has made this show before. And, it, yeah, it's a movie about, like, a guy who is... I can't remember a lot about it because, yeah, I'm talking about well over a decade ago. But yeah, it's the con. The concept is um, like it's about afterlife, the afterlife, um, and yeah. he gets another chance or something at like getting to tell people what he wants. Or I don't know, it's dreadful. But I really did feel, I really did have this immediate feeling when I saw that he was producing this of like, didn't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess afterlife lacks the supernatural Ooh. element. um, Can I just say, speaking of Ricky Gervais rehashing his material endlessly. Oh, here we go. I I don't know if you'd both noticed this as well, but uh, like the closest things to jokes within the show were directly one for one, word for word lifted from his stand up shows. Oh, I think there. I noticed a couple. When he tells that little kid that he's not attractive enough for a, a pedophile, you know, uh, like, was, was that was that in the stand-up show? Fucking uh, hell! Ninety-nine point nine percent sure. I definitely remember Ricky Gervais making that joke somewhere before. I, 
I wonder if he reused that that one joke that I found funny and and then wiped from my memory in his stand up <laughs> show. It, like if he was like, this is a tried and tested formula and reused that one, I'd have never have noticed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so just completely plagiarizing himself. If you actually enjoy yeah. Ricky Jason, you find him funny. There is not a lot of new stuff here. Like it's. I... Mul- I felt like it had more more jokes, not saying good jokes, more kind no. of uh just just obvious straightforward jokes than I mean than than humanity did maybe than um <laughs> special correspond yeah than, than the stand-up show which is just a, supposed to be just a person telling jokes yeah I I felt like the a lot of uh, humanity was just like him kind of whining just kind of him setting up well I I did this I was on Jimmy Fallon. Wait for the audience to clap for the fact that he's been on a talk show. And then <laughs> I was on Jimmy Fallon. Someone was like, oh, I'm offended because you made a joke about my allergy. And he just spends so long setting it up. And then he gets to the joke, which is just like, you're a cunt. Um, and yeah. <laughs> like in this, it felt like there were more structured jokes. Not saying they succeeded. I I felt mm. I felt that somewhat. I don't know. Well, it was fairly on par for late, Ricky. Uh, okay. Yeah, maybe. Me and M did try to start try to watch the show together because it was like, well, you know, one TV right now, might as well. Yeah. But they were just like, oh my god, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. There's just nothing entertaining. So after one episode, I gave up and, and I just watched it on my own when uh, <laughs> they oh, were... Oh, very sad, very sad. Because I honestly, I felt bad putting them through that. Uh, yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm glad that you did. Uh, you did watch it anyway, because it, it would also be very bad to just make me watch it and then not watch it yourself. That would yeah, be a terrible crime. Uh, yeah, which I had yeah, very, very nearly done when you contacted me at six o'clock today and was like, "Are you ready for recording?" <laughs> yeah, was that where you were like, uh, "Give me two hours"? Yeah. Well, so I have a question for you. Like, given that we're recording this about this notoriously thin-skinned comedian who likes <laughs> to get into fights with people on Twitter, what would you guys do if he found? you and found this fucking laugh um, <laughs> like the stars like here comes the well yeah i, I guess mean, that would be numbers a year ago yeah it, well exactly. it'd be like the daily mail scandal times 10 but. yeah i mean that did give us a brief numbers boost actually i might snitch tag i'm not gonna snitch tag <laughs> ah, it's well, right. Well, whatever. But I bet he fucking Google's himself. Like, yeah, he, no doubt. Error of us, but he not care. <laughs> the dark it... corners of Twitter he's looking in are just looking at the type of person who follows him. <laughs> just going on his <laughs> follower list, seeing like KKK Grand Wizard, and it's like, oh, that's just a Tory MP. Never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's um. Topical. Yeah, you see, I'm getting firing on all cylinders here. But no, I mean, our last episode on Ricky Gervais, where we talked about humanity and about his career in general, which came out about a year ago, was our most popular episode ever, in large part due to the fact that Jonathan Pye started a beef with us. Cause he oh, was having... really? Yeah, he was having a go at Josie Long. So I was like, I'm going to both clap back at him for being mean to Josie. 
and also promote our new episode. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, hey, Jonathan, it would be a terrible shame if somebody called you like, I, d- I can't remember the exact words, but just like some hack cunt failed comedian i don't know like uh just just like an awful unfunny piece of shit um and he (laughs) was just kind of like he like kept following us and i kept soft blocking him and he'd follow again and i'd soft block again and we just kind of played (laughs) played, we played that game for quite a bit but like all his dickhead fans were flooding our mentions and stuff and it it genuinely like generated quite a lot of hype for that episode having all the the uh jonathan piss people like just going ape shit over it um so yeah you know fingers crossed that ricky himself or, or jonathan again we'll take jonathan he unfortunately didn't respond <laughs> he didn't respond to our jonathan piss episode yeah but uh, but yeah we'll you know we'll take any kind of like we'll fucking uh, if andrew yeah. doyle the right-wing comedian who co-writes jonathan pie's stuff we'll take him any of these fuckers if they want to okay. give us some numbers bring it on so have we got anything else to uh, discuss on the matter of ricky gervais his uh new show his terrible career um his the fact he's a terrible person etc you know shoot i really just want to move on with my life yeah, <laughs> not not from you guys. Like, yeah, great. Uh, but that's two hours of my life that I'm never getting back. And yeah, and I can't say that I would recommend it to anyone, even for the even for the the kind of like irony watch or the the hate watch. You know, mm. watching yeah. it to criticize it or something. Like, no, just go and do, go outside. Yeah, I would I would specifically say that people with podcasts should not watch it and then do an episode on it because someone's already got that covered. We don't need people <laughs> crowding up the field. So tr- trash future if you're listening. We got this. We got this. <laughs> yeah, we got it covered, guys. You don't have to suffer. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We suffer for our arts. If anything, we are like Jesus. Martyrs. Martyrs, yes, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> this crown of thorns on my head. <laughs> on the, yeah, sitting on the sofa. Thank you for joining us in this. Yeah. Uh... That's okay. I feel like I need to go and take a shower or something. It's <laughs> self-crucifixion. It's really horrible <laughs> shit, isn't it? The sofa in front of the TV is our cross. Um, yeah, yeah I, I really wanted to make this biblical for some reason. Sorry about that. Um, That's right. I think I, I think possibly subconsciously, Ricky, maybe. Yeah, I knew it was the thing that would fuck Ricky Gervais off the most. Hey, Ricky, <laughs> you know who you remind me of? God, but, <laughs> but in a bad way because you don't like God. I because re- you're I real, like God. Yeah. Oh God. Uh... Oh, God. Yeah. I realize that could go either way. You know, comparing someone to God not always a negative thing. Um, <laughs> he's not you know he's not he's not satan he's not he's too 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 pathetic you know say satan's got got more going on he's just not anything though like he wants to be like he did that photo shoot where he was like got crucified or something (laughs) he really (laughs) he really does want to be at 
some whichever Paul, whether he's like Satan or Jesus or whatever, he he wants to be a kind of uh, like outsized cultural signifier. And I just like I'm 100 percent serious. I really would like to live the rest of my life and not watch any more of his output. <laughs> I didn't I didn't see humanity. I haven't seen. Don't think I've seen any of his stand up for Good. at least like 10 years. Um, <laughs> since pretty much since extras yeah I just he's not he's not anything let's not compare him to any of the big lads I think that's probably true none of the big lads Mike Gates etc <laughs> he, can't, he can't stand on, on the shoulders of those giants well maybe, no. maybe, maybe he is standing on the shoulders of those giants or standing on the shoulder of giants as Oasis famously put it they don't they don't they don't do it for me that much. They're not rock and roll enough, man. I've just been um, looking through the New York Times interview to wrap up, and um, it's a bit run-of-the-mill, really. It's just him being a kind of miserable, self-pitying prick and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I can't be asked to mine that interview for material. Um, no. Done, we're I done think with he comes Ricky off now. really badly, but... Um... He does. He does. He does at the best of times. <laughs> But no, but even that, even that, I just feel like he's coming off badly in a way that we already know about him. Yeah. And it's it's just like his material, right? It's it's repetitive. I guess what I'm doing is I'm critiquing the whole concept of us having done recorded this podcast at all. Um, <laughs> but there's a point with Ricky Gervais where we're all going to become as repetitive as his material is. Because we're mm. like, there's no new ways to react to that. There's yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I, I definitely no think that's. Points made. I think that's the case with this interview. I think that the <laughs> only the only way you really can respond to what he does is if he puts out some new work like Afterlife, which you know, whilst not giving you much to chew on, yeah, can be criticised. You know, there's a worldview there. There's, there's a creative process there. Yeah, and and I think it's still worth saying, hey, hold up, this is not good, and these yeah. are the ways how. But you're right that, you know... It's a bit like obvious, a story saying, Ricky Gervais, still bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Turns yeah. out we've checked in on him after a year, and he's still a massive tosser, whose yeah. work has just gone into an irreversible decline. So. Yeah. Sometimes people do change, so I guess it is worth checking in on artists now and then. But yeah, yeah, definitely. your point regarding Ricky. No, I don't see much more for him. I mean, well, his next stand-up show, he said, uh, is going to deal with the... Um, it's going to deal with transgender stuff again after he did a Great. Pretty, pretty dog-shit routine last time. Uh, it took yeah. up about 20 minutes of his last stand-up show. Um, he said that this time he's going to talk about something like men pretending to be trans women so that they can go into women's prisons and oh, so assault he's women. going full turf. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, Excellent. no, it's okay because these people aren't real trans women. Oh my god! Imagine that. Imagine thinking that was like a coherent argument for propagating that fash bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> really, really, really gross. So that's what's what's on the horizon for Ricky. You know, it's not going to be like return to form after this. Yeah. I don't think. 
And on that note... <laughs> yeah, let's call it a day. Let's put Gervais behind us once and for all. Yeah, this, this, I'm going to com- watch The Sopranos as a... Yes. Palette. Yeah, same. I, f- I think so. Where are you on in The Sopranos, Edie? Um, I think I'm on about season five. Oh, okay. So you've got Steve Buscemi as uh, Tony Blundetto. I've currently got a lot of Steve Buscemi, and it's excellent. He's great. The, yeah. They've just got a kind of a succession of pricks, like from season to season, haven't they? They've yeah. got um, Richie April, and he gets bumped off. Then, uh, what's his fucking name? Ralph. Who, who's Ralphie, yeah. Like, even by mobster standards, like, it's all relative. Like, these guys are bad. Yeah, I love I love that about it. I love the fact that yeah. this, like, Emmy-winning drama is not above yeah. having the sort of, like, quite formulaic, like, framework of every season. You just get introduced this kind of antagonist, and basically yeah. the season is about, how is he going to die at the end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's you great. Work, you work towards it with this kind of grim inevitability and it's always brilliant it's always really really good and you always really enjoy getting there and yeah aj is always just the most useless dull child just fail son (laughs) and everybody else fulfills their roles and it's great i love it i like uh in when aj gets into bob dylan gets really angsty he's just there like listening to the protest songs like man this shit is deep like <laughs> yeah he <laughs> really reads, he reads nietzsche for a bit um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but then but then he pronounces nietzsche's name wrong so then Nietzsche. he shops out of embarrassment <laughs> yeah <laughs> he comes down like one that. day he's like what's the point of it all you know i'm watching it now and it's all oh yeah so... where are you at I'm uh, well. I've seen it all before. Like it was like probably the first big drama show I watched in my teens. But I'm on my rewatch currently on season three, yes. and um, yeah, it's just fucking quality. Wave good- goodbye to Big Pussy, uh, which is yeah. one of my favourite episodes. Is this the one with the horse, or is that season four? Oh, that the, the horse is called like Pio Mai, isn't it? Yeah, that's Pio. season four. That's with Ralph, I think. The character of Janice, like I've been <gasps> enjoying enjoying her trajectory oh janice is great because when she came back i was kind of like i was kind of enjoying janice i remembered not liking her when i was younger um you know there's not many likable characters admittedly but i was like oh janice janice is kind of cool like you know she smokes weed and she's like uh (laughs) you know uh she she finally sorts out richie april before nobody else will and my um, god yeah amazing yeah, quality. Uh, and like, um, yeah, I was like, oh, well, you know, her, <laughs> Livia is obviously an awful, awful mother. So, you know, what? And their dad is a fucking mobster. So what What chance did she have, really? Of course, she's a bit off. But then it's got to like when she's stealing uh, Svetlanka's leg and it's just like, yeah. OK, no, no, Janice is a prick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> OK. And I love how... Um... Everything seems to sort of go her way. Yeah. Like she, she just decides that, like, um, when Bobby Vacalar's wife dies, and she's like, ah, an opening. Oh, and she God. just fucking moves into his house. Oh, I felt so sorry for Bobby when he, when he got with her, because he's just, like, the nicest guy. It's, like, yeah. one of the few people in The Sopranos who genuinely is, like, pretty much a lovely person. And then, you know, for, for a guy, again, who is involved in organised crime. 
but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. All right, maybe maybe they're not so unsuited to each other, considering. Yeah, I love it. Right, that's what I'm going to go cleanse my palate with. Excellent. Tom Dizzo thing. It sounds like it makes sense, and it's not just a big tract of us talking about the Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just ha- I had to get my Sopranos thoughts out there. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Love you, Tom. <laughs> it may be Tom editing this or me depending on just who who does it. But yeah, one oh, of us. In the in the real politic mythology in my head it's Tom Dizzen. I don't know I'm not sure he's edited an episode this year so far, but Oh um, really? So, okay. So if you've listened to an episode recently it was probably me. But oh, um right. but but no, yeah, don't worry, he's 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 still on uh, still on the bus. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get him editing something soon. Cool. All right. Well, Edie, thanks so much for coming on the show and for putting us yeah, thank through you. the no trauma of Gervais. Really good chat. And uh, yeah, good as always to talk to you, Yair. And like, thanks to everyone for yeah. listening to Real Politic. Reminder that we have our new clothing line out now, which uh, <laughs> you can acquire a milk T-shirt. Wear the milk. I think that's about right, it. Right. Yeah. Where the milk. <laughs> and you have the end of the episode. How do you um, deal with fame then? Uh, you cannot get caught up in the result of your work. That's not who you are. Uh, mm. If you think of the people that you know that really want to be famous, or are famous and still want more, uh, they're probably not the funniest people. Album's gonna come with lotion, home skillet. Go fuck yourself if you don't feel it. All I took is liquor, marijuana, six strippers in the sun. I'm pinning bad, now I got a buzz quicker than Nirvana first. You non-violent, now you and your verse smiling. You're only criminal records, BDP's first album. Cop purple haze and be the first to blaze. When cops roll up, everybody in my circle stays. Fuck your baby mama, mother's day. Dump my blunt ashes in that bitch's purse when she turned her head the other way. I'm found, don't give a shit what a motherfucker say. Live it up till it's minutes up. We might not get another day. Get it, you tin it up, yeah, it's winning, but this chick won't know that Till after she licks my Bozak, get my Prozac I'm like Tony Soprano, the way I kill big pussy And my bitch don't know that They shootin' Oh, made you shit your pants Better call your bitch, forget your mans Sick of his funny playboy, she mine now Where my weatherman at? Follow the dark cloud They shootin' Oh, made you shit your pants Better call your bitch, forget your man Sticking his honey playboy, she mine now Where my weatherman at? Follow the John Cloud First name Yakko, what you know about Yakko? Weatherman, prime specimen with my pants low See, this is where the barking stops And my dogs leave the show barking my shit to the parking lot Whoa, they shooting Oh, we made it hot fucking, but we encourage the spraying the cops Trust me, dog, you don't want no bad blood between us I'm moving up, you still play the back of the club I'm born and you pouring, you start like orphans, you punks. We roaring, you fawning and sleeping in coffins, you front. 
I change the fate, ain't nothing changed at my claim it in stores like it ain't a thing. We get them entrepreneurs, rap connoisseurs who like a weed with crystals in it, and our women are all flawed. So let the truth be told, haters can hate me now, but say the drama roll, movie roll. Police shooting, oh, we made it hot. They got the bomb squad and raided with SWAT. Don't make a motherfucker break your locks, player. Right where the robbery's at, seen where the crime's at. Play shooting. Oh, we made it hot, they got the bomb squad, I'm raiding with SWAT. Don't make a motherfucker break your locks, player. Right where the robbery's at, scene of the crimes at. PSK playing, I'm saying neurotic shit. Y'all up to the clouds, ask for the weather and got it. Whether I'm blotted or blotted out of this orbit. Absorb shit, cause only 5% don't really want to be corporate. Most of y'all favorite artists made y'all slaves to garbage. The influential drop, they raped the caucus. Then it's off to the living for cannibalism. No kidding, cause rappers dying and they make no ribbon. I'm thinking of the stress and the air I breathe through, drugs don't fund terrorists, SUVs do, but y'all don't want me to point it out, I'm assuming, just remember to turn on and tune out that boom, tune in. It's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.